yeah, I, I, I'm hoping to one day get like to Stanley levels of fame or legally I have to change my name to my pseudonym. I don't, I don't know what I would change mine to because I don't even like my first name. Bert so. Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. Bert, Bert Reynolds, where'd you come from? Ah, I was always here. <laughs> it's funny. It's bigger than a regular hat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So filmmaking, do you want to talk about like big picture stuff or nitty gritty or what do we, uh, what do you want? Anything you do and anything you want to do. And yeah. Okay. So, well, so one, an approach I have to filmmaking, uh, and I, I mean, I think it all starts of course with the story, but the question a lot of people I think need to ask themselves is, does this have to be a film or should this be a film? Uh, because there are certain things that, you know, I think work great as comic books or graphic novels that don't really work on a filmic level. I mean, we've all seen bad adaptions of, you know, good source material. And, uh, and at the same time, we'll see, oh, they had their heart in the right place, but there's just like, like, like a book adaption, like a prose novel. It's like if there's so much dense material in there and uh, like, you know, you can read a book and get all the characters' thoughts exactly the way the author wants you to interpret them. You get an actor on screen, we all read people differently. So um, if, if one person thinks, man, this actor looks really, you know, really upset at this point, then Oh, I didn't think they looked upset. I thought that they just looked, you know, um, just substitute whatever emotion could be mistaken for that. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and so I think the main question is like, would this be something you actually want to dedicate at least, if you're making a feature film, at, at least 90 minutes, if not more, to your life watching? If that answer is like, no, then just adapt it into another medium. Uh, possibly, but uh, okay. Apparently, I scared the crap out of Dylan with that uh, <laughs> mind-blowing statement. It just disappears half the time. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm not going to judge. I I've been told I'm very frightening. Uh, <laughs> well, it, well, okay. I was in Halloween makeup, but anyway. So, oh, the, I saw that picture. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. That was I, actually. I can go on and on about that, but let's focus on filmmaking. So, so once you figure it out, like, okay, this story is cinematic, you know, it has got to be a movie. Uh, I think at that point, uh, you know, if you're, if you say, well, you have to look at what your talents and skill sets are. Now, apparently, like, I like to take a shotgun approach to filmmaking and have my hands in everything. Um, okay, the... I was thinking about this uh, for the panel and probably one of the biggest influences just on myself as a person is the movie Galaxy Quest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, See, I've seen that movie so I can actually like appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> but um, okay, for two reasons. One is the famous quote of never give up, never surrender. I also say that doing menial tasks, like, oh, God, I really don't want to do these dishes. Never give up. Never surrender. Hey, it gets me through the day, guys. Um, 
but also, um, okay, you know the bit, the low mm-hmm. point in the movie when, uh, when like the bad guy Saris is like grabbed Tim Allen, and he's like, "You take me for a fool, Commander." That the commander doesn't know every bolt, every weld of his ship. That always really struck a chord with me. And I'm like, okay, as a filmmaker, as a creator, I don't just like, I do work with people and trust them, but I'm like, as a creator, I'm like, if I come up with a story, I want to be involved in it. You know, not not like lording over and working, like looking over someone's shoulder while they work because, you know, Every everyone's an artist too in their own right, and you need to respect that. But I'm the type of person where I just, you know, as a creator and particularly a filmmaker that has so many components going on. Like as we were talking last night, I I can draw a cool looking character. Well, I think I can draw a cool looking character, design one. But uh, in terms of actually making that costume come to life, not a clue. <laughs> Thus, they have wardrobe people who will say, like, okay, Eric, what you're drawing can't exist in reality. You're not real, man. But, uh, but uh, I was going to say, that's like, a, that's like an entrepreneur, a, a business owner. Like, they, you don't want to micromanage, but you should know everyone's job. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, um, like for example, the Spider-Man Four fan film that I've got going on. Uh, like I know how to work Blender a bit, but we have got yeah, Greg. I see your progress with the video game and things like that. Slowly, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Blender's got a lot more friendly, user-friendly lately. Uh, at least from when I first downloaded it. Now I'm like, okay, I am working shaders, and now this is starting to look like a thing. Yeah, I can make a donut with frosting, but I can't add the sprinkles. So. You'll get there, man. You'll get there. But, um, but my thing is, like, we've got more talented visual effects people on that movie than myself. But I think it behooves you, as especially an independent filmmaker, to know something of the technology. So like if I don't want to give people impossible jobs, then say, well, you got to figure that out. I'm like, all right, maybe if I was employed at like, like, like by Kevin Feige and I could just say, oh yeah, yeah. You, you have an entire department dedicated to making these storyboards photo real. But I think especially on an independent level, you know, you've got to, no people's job like you said don't micromanage but manage and uh yeah another thought i had prepared too uh for independent filmmaking is uh is genre and marketplace and absolutely i nor anyone else can tell you what film you can make you know because if you have enough time effort persistence i think you can make just about any movie quality varies i will say that i mean like yeah you could in theory with enough time make like uh uh no i do not have realistic expectations (laughs) Uh, but like yeah with enough okay if with enough time like there's this fantastic lord of the rings fan film that was made um I think I think over in the 
over in Europe, UK, I forget exactly, but for the budget, for the effort, it was pretty damn good. And, you know, grading a little bit on a curve, it's not going to be Peter Jackson's work. That's like those Star Have you seen any of those Star Wars fan, like the really good Star Wars fan ones? Like, oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Like, you've mistaken them for a trailer. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. A trailer for a Nightwing show that was like a web show. And oh, yeah. Looked, looked awesome. So I was like, wow. But yeah, there, I saw I think like a thirty-minute or so Moon Knight fan film that I saw that looked really good. That would be uh, cool. I it's like you know slickly professionally shot, good acting, um, and you know Moonlight, uh, Moonlight. Wow, Moon Knight himself looks pretty cool uh, as well. A little Power Rangery, if but then again, I'm a huge fan of that series. I can see where people would be put off by it. But at the same time, uh, I, you know, I like, you know, that is great. They put their heart and soul into it. Um, but yeah, I think if you're if you've never made a film before, make a short, you know, just to see, even if you like it, you know, like I, oh my god, when I first started filmmaking, I was trying to make these like epic fantasy films on like DV uh, video. It kind of gives you an idea why I never post anything like that because it is so freaking embarrassing to see like junior high to high school kids, you know, pretending to like be like Vikings or whatever like that. I honestly don't know how I talked anyone into ever hanging out with me, but um, yeah, I think uh, if you do like works well, <laughs> like if you do a like. Like deciding that your story needs to be told filmically, I would say watch the best and worst in the genres. Uh, the worst mainly because you can feel really good about yourself that you didn't make that. Uh, but then again, I think to myself, as bad as some movies are, if they've got legitimate distribution, uh, then they're a step ahead and... Uh, Taking a page from uh, Todd McFarlane's book, he said, he was like, I I, uh, I I met him at Emerald City Comic Con. I was like, oh, I never looked at the best artists. I always looked at the worst artists who were still getting work and thinking, hey, I could draw a little bit better than that guy. Give me his job. And he said, then, of course, you build up from there. So, like, I don't feel like calling out any crappy filmmakers, even though I'm looking at a show full of them. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm saying, if you're... I'm just saying right now, if if you want to make a movie to sell, I mean, just to sell, like, yeah, you can do it, but it's probably going to be packaged along with two other crappy movies that, uh, worst movie ever, in my opinion. Oh, my God, I do not want to lose friends, but I will uh, answer that question later on. Um, but I, I'm saying that... Uh, Definitely lead with your heart. If you want to make a really cool sci-fi space opera movie, find a creative way of telling that. You know, like, if you want to have armies cl clash with each other, I'm like, good luck. Um, there are definitely ways to do it with visual effects and technology, or you could tell it from, like, I don't know, maybe it's a small outpost under siege and we don't see, the like, the enemy forces a lot. You can get kind of a cool siege rio bravo thing and make it a character drama it only it only needs a few actors good costuming you know so in production design but 
primarily one location. Okay, I'm gonna write that now. Actually, it's a really good idea. But but I I'm saying there are ways to tell every kind of story, at least in my opinion. Yeah, when you show the Battle of Five Armies, you can show like the individual little fights scenes, and like all of a sudden you just save tremendous amounts of. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like um, like if you're looking at, uh, I like to look at like independent movies that have actually i look at cult classics more uh than anything else because like, Never like yeah. <laughs> it is that is a cult classic though like mystery men yes i i do love mystery men um i, I, <laughs> I god i wish that was a franchise apparently no one got along though and behind the scenes and that's kind of sad Oh, I didn't know that, but I love that movie. That's probably one of my favorite movies. I, I found the VHS of that um, last, when was it? It must have been last Christmas I found it, and uh, I put it in the VHS player that I hadn't used in over almost a decade, and I forgot, like, that you have to, like, that I pressed play. It was at the end of the movie. I'm like, oh, and I hit rewind, and it's rewinding, and my brother's like, you're supposed to hit stop first and then rewind. I'm like, oh, yeah, like. I forgot. It rewinds faster when you stop it. Like I forgot like what VHSs do. And when it started up, it had blockbuster commercials in the beginning. And I'm oh, like, this is the most nineties. Yeah, was that the nineties? Yeah, it was the nineties because yeah, they were like the most nineties video I've ever seen. Like just perfect. All of it encapsulated. Yeah, I love God, I love that because like that movie is like making fun of the Joel Schumacher movies. Of like Batman, and I think they nailed it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, the um, but yeah, looking uh, as you brought up with that battle scene, like the Battle of Five Armies. Okay, if you look at a movie like Highlander, uh, the first one, hugely ambitious. Greg, have you seen that? Which one? Uh, <laughs> Which one? Have you seen uh, any of them? Battle of Five Armies. I've seen oh, all of them. Highlander. Oh, Highlander? No, I have not seen. seen the Battle of Five Army. I've seen all of them. There's, there's, there's one. Oh, no, I was wondering what. what we yeah. are. Okay, okay, Greg. So, uh, yeah, check I know, out. I know what Highlander is, but I haven't watched it now. Okay, my recommendation: just watch the first movie, and then pretend nothing else exists. Good idea. Yeah, and uh, oh god. <laughs> I was like so into it. I was pretending like when I was a kid that all the movies were great, you know. And then I finally saw Highlander: The Source when it came out. I'm like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even, you know, just lie to myself anymore. I will say though, they were the first one movie. Please, they are not the only one, so that's good. Oh my god, Highlander is about uh, is it Scotland? Is that where it is? Yep, Scotland. It's about um, this basically. Uh, I'm trying to remember. The, the, the Highlanders are basically in, they're uh, not invincible. They're uh, immortal. They die, but um, if you kill another Highlander, you become more powerful. And the only way to kill them is to behead them. And so yep. basically, you go through. There, there, there's this one Highlander who's trying to kill all the rest so he can become the most powerful being. And uh, there's another Highlander who's basically just trying to stop bad Highlanders like that. And every time he does, he ends up getting even more powerful because he has to kill the guy who's been killing a bunch of guys. And like the whole thing is like there can be only one because in the end, uh, if there's only one Highlander left, then there's no way to kill him essentially because he'll be too powerful and there's no other immortal to outlast him. Exactly. And it should have just been one movie. But Sean Connery in that? Yep. Yeah. See, I know things. I just haven't seen it. 
you you watch you watch the show, right? Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the um, but uh, the show was been pretty good at times. Okay, um, so and and one of the things uh, that I bring up is that uh, it was a low budget movie, but taking place in uh, like medieval Scotland, where uh, you know it's a and they had a medieval battle scene, you know, and what's pretty cool with that is like. To, they didn't have a ton of people there, certainly not like in anything worthy of a helicopter shot. But <laughs> they had these big ass fog machines going and just obscuring everything. And so you'll see shadows of like stunt guys just doing basic choreography while Christopher Lambert is, you know, like wandering around looking for someone to fight. And they use their budget and their atmosphere to their advantage. And that's the kind of thing with. I think lower budget filmmaking that, you know, incorporate your low budget artistically. Cause I mean, you watch the movie, it's budget doesn't necessarily show because you're like, okay, we got these cool, beautiful Scottish locations and like some castles and, you know, like pretty elaborate sword fights here and there. And I, and a film that does show it's low budget, but it was just so damn good that I, I watch it regularly as, you know, The Evil Dead, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it definitely shows in the in the acting and stuff that, okay, I, I think that uh, filmmakers, and I'm guilty of this too when I was younger, you have no idea what good acting is when you're in your 20s trying to make a movie. It's... Uh, Yep, it definitely was. Uh, apparently, medieval low budget has become the sub theme of this <laughs> movie or of this uh, panel. Uh, more than three. Three is the number. <laughs> okay, you have seen that one, Greg. Yes. Yeah, it's like, and I'm and I'm thinking pretty much with with filmmaking and doing because I like to make genre movies. And the thing is, I don't make them just, I don't make them just to sell. There's got to be something, you know, more to it. Otherwise, I get bored really easily. You know, like, it, like I like the filmmakers that have, I mean, you don't even need to have a big message to it. I think as long as your heart's into it, you can always tell. I'll, I'll give a movie a pass of like, kind of like the Corman Fantastic Four movie. They were all trying so hard. Is it the most recent one? No, this is like the film that Marvel tried to hide from the 90s. Um, yeah, I, I've seen some terrible movies. Um, I haven't seen the original, uh, not the original. I haven't seen the last Fantastic Four movie that just came out like um, a couple years ago. Year that, ago. That movie is so sad because like there's a part of it if you, if you just say, okay, it's an adaption of the Ultimates. You can get into it just kind of like, okay, I see where they're going. And then yeah, then you can tell just the studio reshoots made everything worse. And uh, I mean, it is fun to watch Kate Mara's wig change. You know, from, it, it's kind of like, I really did not like the Justice League movie, but I did like doing reshoot spotting. Uh, I can tell where his mustache was still. Like, oh. Really, uh, yeah. But I the new version won't have that. So, yeah, I'm 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 curious about that mainly because I'm a huge fan of Darkseid. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, okay, we'll get to see him. 
and but you know, I've been thinking about the, the flash run weird, but you know, I could put everything beside. That. Yeah, but <laughs> he's got it. Yeah, but I'm just like I have superpower, so I forgot how to run. <laughs> the thing is, I'm like, you know, when the TV show gets it more right, the TV show from the '90s gets it more right than your movie. <laughs> For real, though, yeah. And I would say, okay, so to get a little backbone to filmmaking, because I can just nerd out on topics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, I agree. Henry Clavel was better in Witcher. Um, okay, so if you're going to write this project yourself, uh, I would say at least write an outline. Uh, you know, like if you say, okay, I have a, I think I have a good story idea, but I am lousy at dialogue, you know, which... I think behooves someone like George Lucas, who, yeah, he, I think he understands a lot about a good story and what makes it work. But then he writes that monologue about sand and uh, you're like, okay, you know what? Um, yeah, maybe not. And, and it's like the, the best way I think to learn dialogue is really just to, um, uh, either eavesdrop on people and there is an anecdote i'm going to share here because it is so great and i have no idea where to put it in a story but you hear these things in real life and then you have to start asking questions of like let's follow this person what's going on you know in their lives but like okay so uh, a couple of years ago i was doing some shopping and i hear this guy and he is like, you know, top of his young lungs yelling into his cell phone. And he was saying, I don't care about anything else. Me. Okay. Immediately stakes are set. This person is on the edge. And he, he has literally put himself on death ground, you know, in story terms, like there's no going back. And then he yells louder than the traffic. I'm not going to do it. It's like, that bitch is not getting my Tupperware. <laughs> and I stopped thinking, this is movie worthy. <laughs> I've got to find out what the hell happened to either make that Tupperware so valuable or what was so, what, you know, I'm thinking, did you, did you lose custody of the kids maybe? And Tupperware is all you have. I don't even know. But that is just like one of my favorite things, and I'm saying it here now because I want some of them, somebody to mark these words when the Tupperware Avenger or whatever comes out. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first, people. But um, but yeah, when you're like when you're writing your outline, of course, um, start off with the Tupperware equivalent line because at that point you've kind of got to keep watching at least for like ten minutes, you know, hoping like. What else is going on here with this character? Um, but I say, but I say, write it, keeping in mind of like beginning, middle, and three act structure and things like that. Uh, I don't really want to get into that because I, you guys, I'm sure have interviewed a lot of other really fantastic writers. That sounded presumptuous, like I'm a fantastic writer. You've interviewed other writers, I'm sure, but uh, when, but I'd say like when you're keeping your outline, don't don't be married to it when it eventually goes to script form. Because then if you're doing your job as a creator and really embodying these characters as a writer, they're going to start telling you to telling you things that like, 
no, no, I, he, they wouldn't say this, you know, uh, and, like they would, they, they wouldn't say this, they wouldn't behave like this. And so they're like, okay, well, if that messes up your outline, but makes a better script, you know, just uh, learn to roll with it. And uh, another quick thought too about that is I keep the characters super vague in my outlines because eventually, yeah, it's going to go to casting, but I have no idea who's going to be playing the part at that point. Like, yeah, I have a ton of actor friends. I want to work with them all the time in every project. That being said, though, um, it's like I'm not I'm not assuming like, oh, so and so is going to be this character and so and so is going to be that character. It, I, I try to keep it like like gender neutral, uh, age neutral, body type neutral, and things like that, and race neutral, just because you can get so much freedom with that character. And then when you eventually, at least my process, you work with an actor on the part, and then say, okay, it's it's kind of like passing the baton. Like here's how I saw the character. Now you're living it. So what can you do that? So what are you going to do with the part now? And uh, I, I haven't. I've had actors say, "Hey, this doesn't feel right. Can I say it like this?" I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got Shakespeare here, so you know. I mean, the only time I could see objecting is like, "Well, I don't like the way my character is portrayed here. That may come off like a villain." Me, you're the villain of the piece. Yeah, but this line's sexist. Yes, you're trying to illustrate that it's bad. But, but, but yeah, those, yeah, those are thoughts. And then I would say, yeah, after scripting, casting, and crewing up is important, of course. Uh, so, and that I meant that they quandary of like when they say, "Don't cast your friends." Uh, yep, yeah, definitely cast. Uh, so if your friends don't fit the role, um, I made a mistake early on of promising people roles, and then. You know, friendships were tested. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't work out for you anymore. So, you know, it's like, hey, live and learn. I make mistakes, so you don't have to, ideally. I mean, if you've heard this and you still do, then you kind of deserve it. <laughs> yeah, like the characters in our comics, a bunch are based off people I know. So, like, they wouldn't, if we make a movie one day or a show, those people aren't going to play those characters. So, I'm going to have to, like, cast people. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. The thing is, then that character will evolve from there. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, you've got these. You've got uh, are usually different. Like that, that's why they they don't feel like they're oh like everyone's always like oh it's not just like the comics. It's like go ahead and find a cookie cutter Captain America. Like it's not going to happen. You know yeah, I mean, like, you're not going to be able to find somebody who's identical to what the comic was because it's a fictional character. <laughs> And not only that, too, you come into it with your own lens and your own interpretation. Like, I like Chris Evans a lot as Captain America. I, uh, you know, I think he does a great job being, he has, like, just that right level of earnestness. Uh, but not naivete. Like, I don't think Captain America is dumb, but I just think that he wants to believe people are better than they actually are. Yeah. Uh, and I think that if that, that's what they're going for with that version of the character, that's great. They never had him say, hey, Hydra, that is be even better. Um, but I think, yeah, with uh, 
when directing actors, um, a mistake I see a lot of people making is they put, um, it's like, it's like they try to direct each word. And I was guilty of that too in film school. Meaning if the line is like, um, it's like, I don't trust you. Like going up to saying like, put an emphasis on don't, then have a pause and say as a whisper, trust you. And so this act, your poor actor is having to parrot, parrot that line. And I'm thinking, okay, but if the actor's impulse is to just say it like a normal human being, <laughs> you know, um, you've done a great job uh, squashing that. So I, I like to allow a lot of freedom on sets, even though, as I said, yeah, not micromanaging. <laughs>